Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would open up our eyes that we might see Jesus. Open up our ears that we might hear your voice. And open up our hearts that we might receive you with open arms and be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Life has gotten rather complicated these days, hasn't it? There are just so many parts of life that we have to juggle. So many responsibilities and commitments that we have to find the time and the energy to pay attention to and to give our time to, to focus on. But things used to be much simpler, didn't they? I mean, surely some of us here remember a time when there was really just the work part and the family part and the church part, with perhaps a, a little vacation part thrown in uh, each summer if the year had gone well. But these days, there are so many other aspects of life that we have to integrate, that most of us have to deal with on a regular basis, including, just to name a few, the educational part and the political part and the exercise part and the diet part and the sports part and the club part and the volunteer part and the social media part, which itself has about a dozen different parts. It becomes hard after a while just to keep track of all the things we have to be tending to. And since our days have not gotten any longer, actually today got one hour shorter, and since we've not added any extra days to our week, there's not nearly enough time for us to do all of these things well. So when we are confronted with conflicting priorities, as we so often are, we have to decide which is the better part. 
but without any kind of framework to, decide, to, to guide our decision-making, then our choices often end up being haphazard or myopic or, or just poor decisions, leaving us feeling frantic and stressed out and guilty. But that is not the way God intended us to live. In our text this morning, we find Jesus and His disciples continuing on their journey from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. After having just passed through the region of Samaria and returned to Jewish territory, a religious lawyer approached Jesus and asked Him what He needed to do to inherit eternal life. Perhaps he too had been struggling with all the competing claims in his life, and despite his great efforts to keep all parts of the law, it had not given him the life that he was longing for. So in response, Jesus asked, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The man said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your strength, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, do this and you will live. But when the man pressed Jesus on the meaning of neighbor, Jesus went on to tell a parable about a hated Samaritan who showed incredible mercy and grace by taking a detour from the path that he was on and giving everything that he had to take care of an enemy who was suffering. And that, Jesus said, is how we love our neighbor who is anyone that God places in our path that is in need. But what about the first part of the greatest commandment. How do we love God with our whole being? And how would we show that love if He showed up at our house for dinner? Well, after Jesus finishes His conversation with the lawyer, he continued on to the next town where he was welcomed into the home of a woman named Martha along with her sister Mary and presumably their brother Lazarus. Now being the good hostess that she was, Martha immediately set about to prepare a comfortable room and a, a wonderful meal for Jesus and his disciples. And remember, perhaps the greatest cultural virtue in the ancient Middle East was hospitality. In many ways, it still is. And Martha was very sure to take this part of her responsibilities very seriously. And so Martha starts hustling around, trying to make sure that, that everything was just right for her guests. But as she's trying to, to deal with all the things she needs to think about, she starts getting stressed out and anxious. There's just so many things to do. Suddenly she realizes that her sister Mary isn't even helping her. 
She'd been so focused on, on the work that she hadn't even realized that at first. And so when Martha looks around to find her sister, she, she sees Mary sitting on the ground at the feet of Jesus with all the men, listening to Jesus teach as if she were one of his disciples. And Martha becomes apoplectic. I mean, first of all, women did not learn with the men. No rabbi would ever accept a woman as his disciple. It's preposterous. And yet, there is Mary sitting with all of Jesus' disciples, listening to him with rapt attention, completely oblivious to all the hard work that Martha is doing, and Jesus is allowing it. So completely incensed, Martha marches right over to him and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Now tell her to get off her tuchus and help me. You know, I suspect that this was not the first time Martha had fussed about that in their home. It certainly wasn't the last time we've heard that complaint in the church. I'm sure many of you have heard of the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work in the church is done by 20% of the people. But those 20% get tired out. They keep doing it because they believe in the mission of the church, but it often irks them a bit that, that the other 80% of people keep taking all the church has to offer without giving much of themselves to help make it all possible. This is when we start hearing things like, nobody besides me cares about the children of this church, or I'm the only one who's doing all the work on this committee, or nobody else welcomes visitors into worship the way that I do. Believe me, I understand the sentiment. And for as frustrating as it can be when it feels as if other people in the church are not doing their fair share of the work of the church, our resentment is a sign that we have become distracted by the work. We have taken our eyes off of Jesus and put them on ourselves instead. I mean, notice in Martha's complaint, she's completely focused on herself. Tell my sister to help me because she's left me to do all the work by myself. But recognizing what is happening, Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her. The better part? Mary's just sitting there. She's just taking. 
She's not giving anything. I mean, isn't the life of faith supposed to be about giving of ourselves in Jesus' name? Isn't it supposed to be about serving the poor and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and housing the homeless and loving our neighbor the way the good Samaritan did? Is it being a follower of Jesus about doing all the parts that he commanded us? Absolutely. But the only way we're ever going to be able to do all of that without becoming bitter and, and, and burned out and distracted is if we start with the one thing that is needed by focusing on the first part of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your being. And the primary way we do that, according to our text, is to join Mary at the feet of Jesus and devote ourselves to Him and His Word. Only then will we be able to do all that Jesus has commanded us to do. One of the greatest temptations in the church is to try to serve God with our bodies without prioritizing the nourishment of our souls. And the more there is to do, the easier it is to, to push aside devotional time with Jesus. I mean, this is a particular danger for pastors for whom the work of ministry never ends. I mean, there's always another sermon to prepare, another book or article to read, another note to write, another phone call to make, another person to visit, another bulletin to put together, another meeting to attend, another email to respond to, another hundred emails to respond to. I mean, Jesus is just going to have to wait in line. The truth is, the spiritual nourishment that comes through worship and prayer and reading the Bible and devotional time with Jesus is what enables us to do all the work of ministry without becoming exhausted and resentful. Because then it's not really we who are doing it, but Jesus who is doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Remember, far more than anything Jesus wants us to do for Him is what He wants to do through us. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. For He is the vine. We are but the branches. And we must remain connected to the vine if we're ever going to bear any real fruit for the kingdom. You see, any success that we may ever have at furthering the mission of the church or loving our neighbor as ourselves comes only as a consequence of our attempts to love 
God by prioritizing our relationship with Jesus, who then does those things through us. See, if we engage in acts of service to God, without nurturing our relationship with Jesus, without making worship a priority, without spending time in prayer and Scripture, then we might be doing a few good deeds, but we're not really serving God. Most likely, we're trying to serve some need of our own, perhaps in an effort to alleviate some guilt or to feel better about ourselves or maybe to earn our way to salvation. But that is not the work of the kingdom. And it will not give us the life that we are longing for. Only Jesus can do that, which is why Mary chose the better part. You know, there are so many parts to being a follower of Jesus, and there will always be more work to do, but we cannot obey Jesus' commands without first sitting at Jesus' feet. Mission always follows worship in the Christian life. And of course, if you do choose to attend to Jesus and and, and seek to have more of Jesus in your life, He may end up leading you to places you had not planned on going and doing things you would probably rather not do just as he did with the Good Samaritan. I think this is one of the reasons that many of us don't spend more time devoting ourselves to Jesus. It allows us to remain in control, choosing for ourselves where we want to go and what we want to do. Ministry remains on our terms rather than His. But you see, that's keeping the focus on ourselves, just as Martha did. And eventually, the, under those conditions, the work of ministry is, is going to become a burden, rather than a joyful response to the grace and the love that we have been given. For we cannot give what we have not first received. And what a tragedy it would be if all the work that we were doing for Jesus ended up becoming a distraction that pulled us away from Jesus, causing us to miss out on the better part of life that can only come by surrendering ourselves fully to the Savior. So this morning I simply ask a question. What kind of hospitality are you showing Jesus in your life? Are you ignoring Him altogether? Are you running around frantically trying to do a few good deeds for him, hoping he's going to pat you on the back and say, well done, good and faithful servant? 
Or have you chosen the better part and welcomed him into your heart's home, basking in his presence and being shaped and nurtured and empowered by his word? The truth is, only at the feet of Jesus can all the competing parts of our lives become integrated and, and find their appropriate place so that they can become the gifts that God intended them to, to be rather than a distraction, including the work of ministry. Of course, we're going to lose all of these things in the end, aren't we? We cannot hold on to any of them. Only the better part will never be taken away from us. For nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And therefore, only what is offered to Him in love will remain. Amen.